What does it really mean to call on God's name? How does love bring us into God's presence? And what is the most important thing of any faith? We dig into these topics right now in the NCE Spotlight, your home for fresh insights from the ongoing translation of the New Century edition of Swedenborg's Theological Works. Knock, knock. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, come on in. Thank you. That's too kind. Thanks for having us. Yeah. There's really nothing better on a cold winter's day than to get to drop into your cozy office and hear what stood out to you in your editing of late. I can smell that fresh translation everywhere around here. (laughs) It's great for me, too. I can't tell you how lonely it gets sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) We're so happy to bring you company. Yes. So what's on my mind today is Swedenborg grew up in a church that had the view that you had to be part of that church to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. And it had the strong view that if babies were not baptized, they would not go to heaven if they passed on, you know. And uh, it was a very Christian-centric, even Lutheran-centric kind of view that he grew up with. And so I'm very interested that one of the things, a big part of his experience was a reordering of his thoughts about these people who grow up outside the quote-unquote church, meaning Mm. outside of Christianity and some of the other world religions, and what is their relationship to Jesus. You know, one of the views was that because it says in the Bible that, uh, you know, believing in his name— you know, or that no one comes to the Father except through me, that kind of thing that Jesus says, then Christians concluded that, well, no Muslim, you know, no Taoist or whatever could possibly have access to God in the same way as a Christian can because they don't know Jesus and they don't have the Bible. And so Swedenborg's thinking evolved definitely on that And I picked three passages from the forthcoming Secrets of Heaven, Volume 3, on this um, topic that struck me as I was editing. Nice. This first one is 2009, and he quotes something from Isaiah that mentions the name of God, and this is how he gets off onto that topic. In the same author, meaning Isaiah, I will rouse one from the north who will come. From the rising of the sun, that one will call on my name. Isaiah 41, 25. Then Swedenborg explains, Mentioning and calling on Jehovah's name is worshiping him with the good deeds of love and the true ideas of faith. Mm. The people from the north are those who are outside the church and do not know Jehovah's name. Yet, they call on his name when they live lives of love for each other and revere the spirit that created the universe. Hmm. Calling on Jehovah consists not in the use of a name, but in worship and the quality of the worship. Wow. Is that, is that all of that one? That's that one. Oh, it's so great. I love it. It's really 
feels really modern. It's not. Yeah. It came out more than 250 years ago. But it feels like if you were today trying to think of how can we rectify this, you might write something like that. So it's really cool to see the times have evolved into that sentiment. Of course, it doesn't make any sense. When you were talking before about the babies, do they get baptized in time if they die before being baptized? They don't go to heaven and at a time when I'm sure there's a lot of infant mortality. What a distressing right. thing to teach people. Yeah. And Swedenborg's mm. is just infinitely more satisfying and rational and morally acceptable. That mention of the spirit that created the universe could come from hundreds of years later, as you say. I mean, the creator, right? Yes. It accounts for everything. It's such a universal framing of it. The spirit that creates the universe. It's it's so wonderful. And I love, there seems to be a layer of, you know, not only is he having clarity around that, the name and what it really means to call on the name, but then also the understanding of what worship is, that worship, you might assume, is doing certain practices in a certain way, you know, ritualistically or something like that. But he's saying it's the same thing of loving, doing good deeds from love, um, that that is what is actually how you worship in your daily life. So it just, it just uh, sort of captures it all. And think of the contrast with that Boxton idea of needing to hear a particular name of Jesus and needing to belong to a particular church. There's been the critique of that raging for centuries that that it's just unrealistic. It, it, it must, the, the old, like, what about someone who's never heard of Jesus argument? You, it doesn't make any sense that if that's the point of life, life does not reflect that point. It does not seem like everybody comes into contact with a choice between the name of Jesus or not. But the things he's talking about, living lovingly towards the people that you're around and honoring the spirit of the, the creator mm-hmm. of the universe, every human being is involved in a life in which those are the choices you have. So everybody is involved in religion in that way. Every, you're not going to find a single culture where all of the stories that are told that don't have something to do with morality this is, it's just like a really satisfying universal explanation for how, yeah, every single person is in touch with what the point of life is. I love that open architecture. And it is so much more inclusive and global and those kind of things, isn't it? Uh, uh, there's, there's something that um, bothers a lot of people about that the narrowest, narrowness of saying we're right and nobody else is. I think it's really handy as well to have that number. You said it was 2009, I think, and of course it'll be in the episode notes, but I'm often wanting, like I'm not sure if I've ever heard Swedenborg say it so distinctly and succinctly, needing to know God's name and all of that. It's like, how how do you explain that? So I'm going to be like keeping this 2009 in my pocket because it right. says it so <laughs> simply. That's a and good that's, one. That's the magic too of Swedenborg's explanation is that it doesn't erase the Christian side of it. There's plenty of people no. who would just say, oh, it's a universal thing and they could be right. But then why did Jesus say no one comes to the Father except 
through me. Oh, I don't know. Pro, I don't know. But this is this is saying no that him. The reason that he said that was because he is the actual path to the Father, even though this is something that it's universally accessible and is actually about living a love of like when you understand who Jesus is then the words are true so it's like everybody gets mm-hmm. what they want mm-hmm. i love it yeah this next one is similar uh it's 2023 and he's been talking about how if you love the lord then you love your neighbor because they go together and then he adds people who love their neighbor do not necessarily love the lord however non-christians who are upright may not know about the Lord, for instance, but the Lord is still present with them in the love they have for others. Even more succinct there, right? (laughs) So, you know, the Lord is is present with them in the love they have for others. Yeah, they, so he's making distinctions, but then there's a hidden inclusivity beneath the distinctions. That yes, right. They, they don't have that love for the Lord that he's talking about, but there's like a back door. And maybe it's different. Maybe it's different to have the Lord with you in your love for your neighbor. That may be a different kind of seed that needs needs to be pruned and cared for in a different way in order to lead to a similar spiritual outcome. But you can, you can feel that it's going to set you on that path. It just, it's a credible, it's, it's a credible movie plot. That if, yeah. if everybody was watching a movie about, oh, it turns out the love that the God is really in that love you have for others, even if you didn't know he was there. And then he says, I was there the whole time. You could watch that unfold in a movie and you'd be like, oh yeah, that's cool. I think that's, that's the, <laughs> what's great about this is that it's got that emotional and sort of mystical satisfaction with it. Yeah. Like Swedenborg is creating that same bridge where he's talking in a very Christian and sort of this world, you know, culturally Christian environment and climate and then, but bridging it and creating, having, giving this sense of this enormous universal presence of, of the divine's love. And, uh, so it's, that's one of the things that's so interesting about reading Swedenborg is because it, within one sentence, like you just did, you go from like such a totally Christian focused thing to then like, wait, hang on a second. I got to sit with this for a minute. What is this? How do I hold these two pieces together? And, uh, you know, just makes you think about it. You can see how it came about that um, uh, people who were devoted to Swedenborg's works were involved in creating the World Parliament of Religions which was a very new idea in the world of, hey, let's get everybody from different religions to sit down and talk to each other. We have more in common than, than differences. And, and um, these kind of passages lead directly to that more ecumenical feeling. Yeah. And what I get, well, what I get from Swedenborg is this like genuinely ecumenical and universal to a point like beyond just a sense of like, oh, everybody's actually Christian and they just don't know it, you know, or something, which I feel like is one <laughs> right. way you can kind of take it or read it is like, yes, they love the Lord. They just don't know it yet. And it's like, but I think he's talking about something that's 
more alive and true, you know, like that, that wouldn't satisfy, you know, people like to, to think about that sort of myopic, you know, homogenous sort of framework or something that it's like, there's something bigger and more, um, more interesting and universal going on that then we get to be a part of as we're in interreligious, you know, environments and stuff. Right. And this is definitely, as Curtis said, uh, from someone who was a big flag waver for Christianity. I mean, he was somebody who saw a tremendous value in it, but not at the expense of having to reject other traditions out of hand. Yep. It seems like it's describing a reality, this underlying reality of God and the foundations of existence that then everything sprung out of, mm-hmm. all the religious things sprung out of, rather than the reverse you were sort of hinting at, Chelsea, which is, yeah. well, we've got this Christianity and there's the rest of the world to account for, so <laughs> how do we fit that into our narrative? This genuinely seems like, oh, wow, that's that's really could be how everything unfolded as it did, but makes everything, including the Christian stuff, including those words that, that uh, from yes, the Bible that you yeah. read earlier, it makes it non-superfluous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fact that he attributes some of this even to the, the Bible, it's not that he's coming along now and saying this, but he's saying these prophecies all the way back in Isaiah are about this. Yeah. And the third and final quote I have about this is from 2590. This is longer. And he gets into what happens to non-Christians after they die, which is the, you know, one of the big questions. And, uh, you know, how does that all work? How do they stack up against Christians? We're always interested to know. (laughs) And so (laughs) here's what he says. Many times I have been taught that non-Christians who have lived an ethical life, obeyed the laws, lived lives of mutual charity, and acquired some form of conscience in accordance with their religious tradition are welcomed in the other life. I want to hit pause and just say I'm very interested that he emphasizes that he was taught this many times. Yes. And maybe it needed those repetitions, like, believe it or not, you know. <laughs> but I, I want to assert again, uh, this is how it is. They're welcomed in the other life. He goes on. There, angels teach them about the values and beliefs of the faith with tender care. Now, I think he probably means a sort of spiritual view of Christianity. I'm, I'm not sure, but the faith. Mm-hmm. As pupils, they are modest, perceptive, and wise, and quickly learn and accept what they are taught. They have adopted no premises that contradict the true tenets of the faith and need dispelling. Much less have they created obstacles to belief in the Lord, as many Christians who have lived evil lives have. Zing. (laughs) What is more, they do not hate others avenge any wrongs they do or concoct plots and deceptions against them. In fact, they wish well to Christians, and yet Christians despise them in return and do their worst to hurt them, although the Lord delivers them from the Christians' ruthless ways and protects them. 
Wow, okay, and we've got more. Hmm. To compare Christians and non-Christians in the other world. So here we go. This is what we've all been wondering. Christians who have acknowledged religious truth and lived a good life are accepted more readily than non-Christians. But there are not many of them. On the other hand, non-Christians who have lived lives of obedience and mutual charity are accepted more readily than Christians who have not lived as good a life. That's a lot mm. in there. Yeah, it is. And I noticed that in his description, how, how many theological points did he bring up? I think it was all about kindness and right, he, how he you doesn't live. go on and say that people who believe this about the Trinity or have said this or done this ritual, he's, he talks a little bit about whether you're inside or outside a major faith category, but he's hammering on just basic morality stuff, right. which is, yeah. hey, do you, do you concoct plots to get revenge on people? And even <laughs> to say that God is delivering non-Christians from the ruthlessness of the Christians, which now you have the world looking back at the you know European Christianity of that time uh, with a pretty critical eye for him to be out ahead of that and saying, look, that's reflected in the spiritual world that, yeah, it's not that Christianity is valueless because it has some really potent truths that line up with this deeper reality we're talking about. If you can, if you can drive that car... If you can live a good life and go by that, that can really set you up well, but it can just as easily be a stumbling block if you think that it insulates you from having to do the be a good person stuff. If you think back to when you, Jonathan, were reading a quote that was describing what the name of Jesus is and that it was this way of loving people and living in the spirit that God is and all of us after the quote, oh yeah, that's so great. It's so good because it's just this clean, clear, real object. It's just a thing that is objectively true and that you could describe in quite a few different ways from a few diff- quite a few different cultural angles, but the, the concept itself is just rock solid. And mm-hmm. I think that that's it just feels clean it just feels like it's it doesn't have any unnecessary jargon or frills on it it's just something that's shiny and true and i think that's probably the nature of these of the faith that swedenborg is Mm -hmm. talking about well thanks so much jonathan this has been quite a ride this week i really enjoy getting to come here and hear what stood out to you in your editing work and i it it is always good food for thought so thanks so much i really enjoy hearing your both of you your fresh thoughts uh kind of sight unseen or unheard or whatever you say um just real-time reactions to these quotes is very fun to hear where your minds go and all that thanks jonathan for having us I am confident you will be seamlessly accepted into heaven, what with all the wonderful truths you got stored up there. And and thank you so much for sharing those with us. We'll put in a good word for you. Thank you. 
I hope your heart was uplifted and your mind inspired by this week's NCE Spotlight. Subscribe to the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast to tap into this stream of fresh insights and join us on our excursions into the historical context of Swedenborg's life and works. All passages quoted in this episode are sneak peeks from upcoming volumes of the New Century Edition translation of Secrets of Heaven. If you've benefited from the work of the Swedenborg Foundation through Off the Left Eye and the New Century Edition, consider supporting us with a donation. We are a nonprofit and depend on the support of our donors. To give, go to swedenborg.com slash donate. And thank you for listening.